Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsudliff.com. I am an American board certified OBGYN, a mom, a Muslim, and I'm talking about sex. This is the Muslim Sex Podcast. So hi again, welcome to the Muslim Sex Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Sada Flody, and this episode is everything you need to know about sexual health and wellness. Before I get into it, the very first thing I want to make very clear is that I'm not giving any type of religious or medical advice. So if you have any concerns about your health, please speak with your medical provider. And if you have any questions about your religion, please speak with your friendly neighborhood religious leader. It's the Muslim Sex Podcast because I just happen to be a Muslim woman who talks about sex. So I am super, super excited to have on with me Dr. Rahman. Dr. Rahman is from Chicago, and I just want to welcome you, and then you can uh, let all of our viewers and listeners know who you are and where you are currently located. Oh, great. Thank you, Dr. Um, Lodi. Um, I am uh, very excited to be here. This podcast is amazing that it's out there, and I'm so excited that you're doing the work that you're doing, so um, keep it up. I am a gynecologist as well. I'm uh, a board-certified OBGYN in downtown Chicago. Um, I have my own private practice that I opened in 2014, um, and my specialty um, lies around you know treating female sexual dysfunction, menopause management, pelvic pain. Um, I do gyne only. And so, um, and my, my academic affiliation is with Northwestern. So I do some teaching with the students and the residents and some research and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm gyno girl on, uh, you know, what Instagram and, and YouTube and stuff like that. So I also like to try to do some educational pieces cause we know there's a lot of misinformation out there. <laughs> so, um, other than that, yeah, I'm a part of some of the, you know, organizations like North American Menopause Society and the International Society for the Study of Women's Sexual Health. Um, and so I'm very excited to be here and, and talk about an issue we're both very passionate about and that people always probably, you know, tell us to calm down about yeah. <laughs> that much about that. All the time. Yeah. Yes, that's awesome. Awesome. I love it. I love your Instagram. You put out so much, you know, such good information all the time. And you're involved in so much research, which definitely I want to get into a little bit as well. But I just want um, to know kind of, you know, kind of like your journey and how you got interested in sexual health, especially and a little bit about your background as well, because I think that's really important and pertinent to our conversation and actually really pertinent to my podcast. Yeah, absolutely. I'm Muslim as well. I, I'm a self-identified Muslim and I, I uh, treat a lot of, you know, Chicago's a haven for, you know, multicultural patients. Um, but I do have a large Muslim population base that comes to me for a variety of reasons. And, you know, it's probably one of the reasons I kind of delved into sexual medicine. Um, uh, you know, as you know, my, my parents are immigrants from Pakistan. So I grew up in a very sort of conservative background where, um, and I have three brothers. So I was the only female in, in, in the family other than my mother. Um, and it was kind of one of these things where, you know, and I grew up in the South in, in North Carolina. So on top of that, regular conservatism of being a Muslim uh, immigrant child, we also had, you know, the conservatism around being from the South. And, and it kind of blended, honestly, like, it was like hand in hand. But um, I think, you know, all of these factors, you know, kind of played into my journey because, 
um, you know, as you know, like, you know, in, in our culture, we just are not that um, open about this discussion. And even I can tell stories about from my first period to my first sexual experience, like there was no communication from anyone on any level. And, you know, it's interesting, my, my two older brothers are urologists and my youngest brother is a um, non-clinical physician, but, you know, we all ended up in the pelvis somehow, <laughs> but, um, which is funny because like now we talk about it and we're just like, you know, but at that time, you know, in those, in those pertinent years where you're trying to try to manage things and figure it out, that's, I think when, you know, would have been helpful to get some early education. I, um, you know, graduated from an OBGYN residency and then started in academics. And so for me, I was doing both OBGYN for a while um, and, you know, hit a point when I was working at Northwestern where I just kind of, you know, you, you hit a burnout point and my husband was starting his own practice. He's interventional pain, sports medicine. So I was like, you need to start your own practice and just take control of your life and blah, blah, blah. And so that's what I ended up doing through a lot of hiccups. And, you know, because we don't we never learn how to make practices work as a medical providers. And eventually what happened is, uh, you know, you get your first couple patients and, you know, like I graduated from residency, what, 15, 16, 17 years ago, something like that. So it was a while back and we don't get sexual medicine taught to us in very, all. very little capacity. I mean, and I had Muslim patients at that time and it struck me that like, you know, um, unfortunately, you know, and I, I talk a lot about implicit bias when I do discussions and, and talks because, I faced it my whole life and, and patients are victim to it. And I think that, you know, it was like some implicit bias that initially started my whole like, why, you know, like there was patients that had vagin, what, what was thought of as vaginismus at the time, at least, um, that kind of started this journey for me where I was like, the, you know, the doctors at the time, my attendings were like, oh, you know, they just need to chill out and open their legs and relax and blah, 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 mm, have yeah. wine, which of course, most of them don't drink because they're Muslim, yeah. so, which is bad advice for anyone, but like, particularly know your audience. <laughs> like, yeah, but, right? um, you know, that was one thing that came up that I was like, well, you know, we should be doing better for these patients. And, you know, you know, self-admittedly, you know, I got married later in life. I was an attending physician and I had myself had vaginismus, <laughs> like I could not consummate my marriage. And so like, it was one of these things where you're like, I'm a gynecologist, I'm in the vagina all the time. Like I talk to people about sex all the time. And yet here I am as, you know, like as educated and, you know, sort of open-minded as I was. And it was this whole thing, like, what is the deal? Like, is it just something so ingrained in us that we learn not to say the words and the language and whatever. And so, you know, our pelvis obviously reacts to it and we have these anxiety reactions. And And this is something I talk to my patients about all the time because it is a primary issue is around pelvic floor dysfunction or and, and or vaginismus or combination of that. And so I think that's what, you know, those the combination of things sort of started my desire to learn more about it and start some research on it. And um, my first few patients that I had in my office in 2014, you know, had this issue and I was like, God, how did it do better for this patient. Well, let me just delve in and try to figure it out. And that's when I started getting involved with organizations and, and started learning about the research and getting involved in research. And, and, and here I am eight years later, just knee deep in it, so, <laughs> but I'm happy to do it. And, you know, we have to, there has to be some of us out there trying to like open up uh, the forums. So. Absolutely. I agree a hundred percent. Now, you know, wow. In 2014 is when you started. So you were like a pioneer in, um, <laughs> you know, I mean, like, especially. I guess, like, yeah. I mean, in some ways, like no one was, you know, and it was kind of like one of these things where you're like, okay, I need to go. I ended up spending some time with Dr. Erwin Goldstein in San Diego, who's like the pioneer for female sexual medicine. Yes. 
Um, and he's like the godfather. And I spent some time with him. And then I spent some time with other people and did some research on my own and um, did a lot of coursework. Um, you know, when you start your own independent practice and you have no one to fall back on and you have to keep up to date on stuff. So I joined all the organizations. I, I go to like four or five conferences a year still. But I think, you know, it was very helpful for me because I learned a lot and all the evolving research that was happening. And, you know, now I'm at a place where I can actually like feel like I'm helping my patients on that medical level. But before, you know, as providers, I mean, we don't get it. And and, and, and they're trying to change now. Like I think the students are now learning the stuff that we never learned and the residents are learning the stuff. But right. even now I have students rotate with me and they're like, well, I just did like eight weeks of OBGYN somewhere else and never saw one patient with this issue, you know, and like right. every day they're seeing patients. So I think, you know, it's a, it's a, it's, it's been a process, but I think we're getting there slowly. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, I know that um, in medical school, right, we never learn about sex ed at all. Yeah. If anything, you get maybe like a few hours of Masters in Johnson, and that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> and we know that that doesn't really work. And then, um, right, and then you don't, in residency, you don't get anything about sex ed. And um, so it's kind of like you have to do your own research, you have to figure it out, you have to have a passion for it to really want to know more about it. And then I agree with you. I mean, like, you know, when patients would come to me about like sexual health questions and things like that, I just didn't have the answer. You know, I would kind of make it up as I went along. But I mean, unless you really look into like the research and start reading the articles and, you know, find out who are the thought leaders in this uh, particular subject, you're really not going to learn. So, you know, I really appreciate all the work and research that you've done. And, you know, you've been doing this for quite a while. So that's that's really impressive. I had no idea. So, you yeah. know. I think what a lot of people, and I'm sure you probably get this too, but you know, a lot, something that I encounter a lot is that women, is specifically Muslim women, have really a hard time talking about sexual health. Right? There's such a huge taboo. There's a stigma around yep. it, yep. and you know, so what are the types of questions and concerns that you get around sexual health? Um, I guess specifically from Muslim women, but even, you know, women that aren't Muslim that um, you talk about a lot with your patients. Right. Yeah. And I think it's interesting because, um, you know, we know what shapes us culturally and, and what shapes our image of sex is really, you know, we get acculturated into different environments. We know that people that migrate to new cultures, like they have, they have to, they adapt to two different things. So that's why, like, I think now, you know, more Muslims are, you know, having premarital relationships and, and they're talking about it a little more frequently. But, you know, before it was like the what was indoctrinated was not, you know, around that. And I think what I get a lot and, and you know, I try to do like um, uh, an open session a couple of times a year, one of them around, you know, Ramadan, I do it iftar for my patients and they come and we have a roundtable discussion about issues. And this is when I first noticed it was my first or second year doing this was like every patient almost asked one, one issue about their hymen, like, you know, like, I just want to get an exam to make sure my hymen is like, you know, the whole issue about it being intact or not intact or whatever. Right. So you have to kind of like break that down with the patients um, and kind of break that stigma. And then there's the issues around like, yeah, I mean, I just have pain with sex, but I figure it's normal, which, you know, we know that's not normal. It's common, but it's not normal. Um, and then the third things are around arousal and, and whether or not like um, and, and, and libido and all those things like, you know, those concerns still come up for a lot of patients. And so I think that combination and then when you talk about a midlife patient in, in their 40s, 50s, you know, entering that transitional point to menopause, then we have those whole other issues that come up. You know, is it 
around, um, you know, the, the bad general urinary syndrome and menopause and the atrophy that sometimes we see, you know, and what we need for that versus like, oh, now I'm not menstru I'm not going to be menstruating. And, and some people feel empowered that I don't have to worry about fasting or, you know, breaking, uh, not missing my, missing my, um, uh, prayers or anything like that. So, I mean, some of those issues are pretty prominent throughout, um, and I think the basis is like, you know, we suck at, at educating people like across the board and we teach people like, you know, in puberty and other things, but like do, as adults, we don't learn any of this. And, and as physicians, as clinicians, as nurse practitioners, as therapists, like you don't learn any of this either unless you seek it, you know? And so if we're the specialists and we are the ones that people come to and we're not learning this, then how do we expect these guys to know anything? You know what I'm saying? Like, it's yeah. one of the things yeah. are like, you know, I, the patients will come and like, oh, I've seen six or seven other doctors. And they're like, ah, oh, you know, just relax. You know, the same crap that we always have been hearing. Um, and so I think I think it's a big issue that uh, that I see a lot of. And so the more the more that I see, the more, you know, you try to educate and whatever. But I think those are the prominent issues around pain with sex, around consummating relationships or marriage. Um you know, never using tampons, pelvic floor issues, all that stuff. And then really getting to the bottom of whether or not there is a arousal um, and um, desire issue too around that. But. Right. Absolutely. I think, you know, one of the very important things that you had talked and actually mentioned a little bit was about how we are raised and, you know, our, how we've been um, acculturated and stuff like that. And I think that that is super, super important because, I think that when, if we don't know that, like, for example, and I'm speaking specifically to like, say Muslim women, if we don't know that Islam is a sex positive religion, then we think everything about sex is dirty, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and because, you know, most of our patients, I mean, I can only talk about, you know, what I know, and that is that, you know, most of us have grown up in sex negative environments where we're not, you know, we don't talk about it. It's shameful. It's embarrassing. It's taboo. And so it's nothing to be ever discussed. Definitely not out in public. Right. And right. so if we have all these negative attitudes about it and then we go into relationships and, you know, some women have never been in a relationship, right. Let alone a, an intimate relationship. And so then how do they even break that? How do they even start to break those negative beliefs and then move to something more positive? Right. Right. I mean, right. I think that that is um, something that's very difficult to do. So what do you tell your patients? I mean, I, you know, sometimes I even talk, I will talk about the history of how Islam spread and how like, you know, for the longest time, like people talked openly about sex and people were like, you know, they would ask very specific questions about, can you do this? Can you enter this way? Can you do this? And they were very specific, even in, in the prophet's time and stuff like that. So I think that, you know, the knowledge that, Okay, most Muslim countries were at some point colonized, right? And yes. then these puritanical systems came into place and it wasn't part of our essence of who we were. And so empowering patients like that too is like, you know, this is actually not who we were, you know, and this is something yes. that we adapted and we got acculturated to, you know, based on, you know, where we were colon who colonized us and whatever. And so, you know, even giving that little tidbit of information, patients are like, oh, really? I didn't know that. I just always thought that, you know, we can't even say the word sex. And I was like, no, no, actually, like, obviously in the right context, I mean, Islamically, like, you know, sex is for pleasure. You know, we should seek sex for, you know, pleasure with our, you know, spouse and all that stuff. Like, obviously, it's in those contexts. But even, you know, when they talk about, you know, the don't ask, don't tell in the in the early empires where there was, you know, homosexuality and all this other stuff, you know, it's like it was there. It was always there. 
Uh, it's just like our, our culture adapted to the people that colonized us. And so that's what happened. And so I think that's very empowering for patients to hear. And then the other thing I always tell patients is like, it's pretty common. I mean, you're not the only one, like, you know, imagine like getting these 30 year old patients and, you know, you'll get these patients and they're like, I can't believe that I can't even have sex. Well, 15 year olds, 16 year olds are doing it. You know, and what about me? Like, what's wrong with me? And I'm like, calm down. There's nothing wrong with you. Like, let's break this down. Uh, realize this is common. Realize you can get past it, you know. And so I think even just understanding, the, com you know, that it's not normal, but it's common is really reassuring for patients. Absolutely. But again, like it takes time to educate people and, and, and you have to you have to be, I guess, devoted to it. We're physicians, right? And that is part of who we are as educators. But I think that, um, you know, that part, that piece is very critical, which, I, which is, you know, bringing up, you know, sex coaching. Like, I think it's great that you're out there doing that as well, just because I think a lot of times what I see is patients who are like, they'll come to me initially and then they'll disappear for a while because they won't, you know, they, they, they got the guts to come to me for the initial exam and then, you know, we barely got through it because they're like, you know, grade four vaginismus or something like that, you know. And then um, I don't see him for months. And then I'll be like, can you guys reach out to this patient? What happened? And, and, and that's when I feel like, you know, therapy, coaching, all that stuff is so critical because, you know, you need someone to guide you back. <laughs> like you did the first step and now you're gone. Like what, what happened? Like this, we can get through this, you know, like, and, and it's really, really critical for, for patients to know that they're, that's available and, and and people will benefit from it, you know? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think um, something else that you mentioned is that women giving themselves permission, right? And I think that, that it all starts from that. It starts from knowing and understanding that this is not wrong. This is part of who you are. This is part yeah. of what creates a happy life, you know, a fulfilling life. And it's not wrong to want it or to yeah. desire it. Right. And then once they give themselves permission, then I feel like they then take the next steps to break down their negative beliefs right. and what might be holding them back and then how they can move forward. And I think that that is so important. But, you know, it's it's amazing to have resources and people out there like you who are spreading this knowledge and this wisdom that you've been doing for the last eight years, you know, and I think that if, you know, social media is great. And, uh, but you know, not everyone's on social media, so they may not know, but I think what's most important is to have multiple people talking about similar things so that people know that they do have the right and, you know, that it is their right to have and experience pleasure. And what I think is also very important and something that you mentioned is that, you know, in Islam, the prophet peace be upon him talked a lot about um talked about sexual pleasure right and satisfying each and each um like the husband and the wife they both have their sexual rights and what's uh, you know acceptable and things like that and that was for people that are muslim that may be listening you know that was given like 1400 years ago right. and only recently you know, has the World Health Organization and different organizations regarding sexual health have they now instituted? I think when I looked at it, I believe it was as recently as 2019, where they finally incorporated sexual pleasure into their definition of sexual education, right? Right, right. yeah, so, absolutely. Otherwise, so, like, don't get pregnant, don't get STDs. Like, <laughs> this is what you learn, but there's this whole aspect of like, I mean, the clitoris is the organ for pleasure and no one talks about it, you know, no one does research on it except recently we have some good research. But you know what I'm saying? Like, it's like one of these things where you're like, you know, we need to talk about it. And there's no shame in your anatomy and there's no shame in the fact that you menstruate and all this stuff. There's so much around our cultures with that um, and many cultures, actually. It's just not Islam. A lot of the Abrahamic cultures, a lot of 
Um, you know, even, I mean, I have tons of Hindu and Sikh patients with very similar issues. And it's because it's really in our cult and across the board in the South Asian culture as well. Uh, again, probably secondary to the colonization. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely, right? Yeah, yeah. It's crazy how much we've internalized mm -hmm. what happened to us. And so everything that we knew before, you know, became wrong and dirty and just shameful. And that, you know, it was something to look down upon, right? Yes. So, yes. and I guess that makes sense if we've been colonized, you know, the colonizers are going to make the people that they've colonized feel less than right. them. We were heathen. And, Right. Yeah. We really all right. Yeah. That's all right. That's right. Yeah. And um, so, uh, you know, I'm really interested in the research that you've done, though. So you've you've put out quite a bit of research, you know, really amazing research. I, I know that you've also worked with an app. Um, I met with uh, Lindsay Harper, uh -huh. and yeah. she told me you put together the um, section on Islam. Yes. And sexual health. Is that is that what you put together on that? Yeah, yeah I did that. And then... Um, we, um, you know, I, I think just, you know, again, delving into this and seeing what was out there, I did put out like a review article of what was available, what exists out there for, you know, and how to how to deal with an underserved population like Muslim women. So that was, you know, one thing that was really important to me to try to get out there. And that was in the Journal of Sexual Medicine Reviews. Um, but, you know, more recently, I've teamed up with HEART, which is an um, organization um, that is a community outreach organization that's founded um, by um, uh, a Muslim uh, lady in, in Chicago, Nadia Muhajir. And she and I work together. Um, part, you know, is really about sexual education as well as um, sexual um, violence prevention in Muslim communities. And so, and, and it's a very all-inclusive organization, which is what I love about it. And um, uh, I think it was in 2020, we created a survey that we sent out um, I think it was over seven or 800 Muslim, um, self-identified Muslims uh, with a list of a variety of questions we asked around sexual functioning, sexual dysfunction, sexual violence. Uh, and it was pretty prominent that like, I think it was like 60, 60, no, 40 percent of um, cisgender uh, females, uh, Muslim, had self-identified Muslims in North America have experienced sexual pain. Um, and 60% of them don't seek any medical wow. attention. That's a so huge number. That's a huge number, right? And it's um, and I think you know, we made the mistake I think by cutting it off at age 45 because I would have liked to see you know what 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 happens to midlife women and beyond because they're an ignored population as well, which I think is going to be probably the second thing we try to attempt to identify. But um, you know. It's, it's pretty impressive in the amount of patients that is similarly that our amount of um, cisgender females that had experienced sexual violence uh, related to um, even, you know, um, religious authorities and figures where it was pretty high. So it's like close to 40 percent as well. So um, it's pretty prominent. And it's, you know, it's something that, you know, we just we're in the process of trying to publish. We did an, a couple of abstracts on it, but we're trying to publish the data now in, in one of the magazine and one of the journals. Um, yeah, so I think, you know, this is stuff we need to be asking and we need to get out there and do. So we, you, you and I should partner since, since we were both. I was, I was just thinking as you were talking, <laughs> I was like, I, I should get into midlife work because I was like, this group was kind of like really interested in the young, you know, college and beyond. And I was like, well, you know, when you hit your 40s, some of us want to know what happens after that. <laughs> yeah. That's right. We don't fall off the planet, right? Exactly. We're still here. Exactly. <laughs> 
still want to enjoy our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. No, this is, this is really, really amazing. And, you know, I'm so happy that I'm learning all this because I didn't know that you were, you're so involved and you were um, putting forth so much research and, um, really yeah, amazing yeah. i mean you are like the go-to person for this so this is really no, incredible yeah really no, and, and i yeah and i just think we just need to be you know and it's funny because you know initially when i first started like i would send out flyers to muslim um to the masjids in the area and i was like you know eat mubarak don't suffer from painful sex like i would send these articles out and like, a lot of the lunches were like, oh, we're not going to leave these flyers here. And I was like, come on, like, this is an issue in our community. Like, you know, I'm not trying to be like Gundy or something. Like, this is something, you know, that we need to talk about. And they're like, sister, I don't know. Like, some of them were really hesitant. And, but I think, you know, eventually some of the, you know, the, I, through word of mouth and other mechanisms, like, you know, the patients were, you know, getting seen and, and helped and everything. I think another problem is, you know, like, um, you know, we talked a little bit about implicit bias. And so obviously, you know, every provider has some level of implicit bias, but if you're not aware of it, then you can't correct it. And so um, I think that, you know, a lot of my patients have experienced that with, you know, male providers, Caucasian, whatever the case may be, because they're just like, oh, well, you know, this is, you know, something that, you know, you guys don't believe in, you know, whatever, like they'll bring in this, their biases about what they think Muslim women are and whatever. And, 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 you know, it's not a fault of theirs because it's just like something that happens to everyone, but, you know, just they should be aware that this was happening because the patients tell me and I'm like, I understand it's harder to communicate sometimes with someone that doesn't get you. But, you know, there are definitely, you know, providers out there that are across the board culturally who are willing to and listen and, and, and check themselves and try to navigate that as much as possible. You know, to what you just said about the implicit bias, right? I was just thinking that that, you know, in effect also reinforces the sex negativity, right? So somebody that goes into their GYN or whoever and explains to them that they're having sexual pain or vaginismus and then, you know, they're dismissed and said, well, like you said, just have a drink or try to relax or, you know, oh, your culture doesn't really believe in it or you're really not supposed to enjoy it anyway. So, you know, it doesn't really matter. And that all those, all those negative thoughts. That's what everyone believes. Okay. So I guess I'm in the wrong, you know, like exactly, exactly. You know, and then they just start to be like, well, you're right. Maybe I'm not meant to enjoy this. And, you know, I know somebody that hasn't had sex for 20 years. Oh, she yeah. she literally had sex just to have children, children like her two children right whatever she had and i think even then she may have had ivf and um and then after that she hasn't had intercourse with her spouse because she in fact when i've talked to her about it she uh-huh. said um you know even just to approach the topic she said well i'm i'm not your you know client ideal client or whatever she said i'm just not interested it's not something that i do or talk about and we're just fine with that you know so i just thought wow yeah that's 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 crazy unfortunate yeah i mean obviously there's a possibility that someone might be asexual on that spectrum but then i think you know a lot of and and i have fallen to that cat where i'm like oh maybe you're just asexual because we go through all that stuff and and but at least they know like hey i'm just asexual and so i'm okay with that but this is my identity now but I think right. what happens is, you know, they just accept it because it's like, you know, that's just the sexual negativity that I grew up with. And, 
you know, my husband's okay with it. Now he has erectile dysfunction. So we're fine with, it. you know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah. are you okay with it? Have you communicated about it? Like probably they weren't, you know, if you don't have that yeah. open communication with your spouse, which some, some patients and, and, and clients and everything don't, you know, and you're just like, I mean, that's number one, right? It's biopsychosocial. We have to approach it. Obviously there's a biology behind it. But that social aspect is there too. And we got to get under it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. I was, um, in fact, I was just reading an article yesterday um, written by that they've uh, conducted research as well. You know, that um, app, that website, uh, Oh My God, Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so they were talking about how, you know, it's so important and we know this, right, how important it is to communicate your desires so that then you can negotiate and talk to your partner about what you like, what you don't like, your desires and all this stuff. And mm-hmm. and like you said, the very first thing, the most important thing is communication with your spouse. And so if you can't yeah. communicate with your spouse about, you know, what your desires are, you're probably not communicating your, with your spouse about other things as well, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just what I always say to my clients and patients is that, you know, what's is happening in the bedroom is not necessarily only in the bedroom, but it's also happening outside of the bedroom. Right. So it's um, it's those difficult conversations that, you know, a lot of patients are very hesitant to have and don't feel comfortable having. And I think that that's those are the conversations we need to be having. Right. And I also agree with you, you know, in terms of just talking to your patients about it, because once the once our patients start to feel more comfortable and they become sex positive, then that only helps future generations, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm sure that you've seen that. I, I'm sure probably in your household, you know, I, I know that your kids are a little bit smaller and younger, but, you know, it starts from an early age, right? It's yeah. It starts when you start talking to your children about their body parts and, and actually naming those body parts what they are and right. not using different euphemisms or things right. like that. Exactly. to describe body parts so that you know when they the anatomy. yeah exactly right right when they know so they know the proper anatomy right and so, i um I, i've given a couple puberty talks in in the school systems here um and i gave one to my um my my 10 year old they had a like a pre-puberty talk and i said and i actually told the teacher i was like i want to be there because i want to make sure that a like patients i mean kids know like you know you know, painful periods aren't normal. If I have to miss school for pain, like I need to see someone about it or, you know, some things that they just think are probably normal, um, yeah. you know, to let them know, like, when, when are these red flags, but also just so they get the anatomy right too, you know, cause I was like, this is where we learn it and this is where we can make a difference. And so, um, you know, I took in the vulva and I actually had to email the parents. I was like, I'm going to say vulva. <laughs> Like, I hope it's okay. <laughs> like, it's going to be vulva, vagina, clitoris. You know, we're going to have the whole thing, you know. So, um, but I think it's, you're right. It's very important for, for them to know about it. And, you know, if my patient, if my kids ask me, like, well, I remember, you know, I, I remember getting my period and not even knowing what to do because my mom was actually in Pakistan and I had an older brother that was sitting there and I'm like, I'm bleeding. And he was like, he was like I'll get you something. I think I have to get you a pad. And anyway, but, um, you know, it was one of these things where I couldn't say the word sex in front of my parents or, you know, even ask them like when I was getting married, anything, you know, and uh, and and now it's one of these things where if my sons or daughters like, well, what does that mean? What is it? like my kid asked me the other day, like, what does intersex mean? And I was like, well, let's talk about it, you know, because you don't want to because when we're growing up, they're like, hey, you know, don't say it like shut them, shut them, shut them out. You know, like it's, don't say it. It's, it's shameful to talk about this. Like that's what I always heard. It's shameful to talk about this, and I just don't want that anymore. 
Yeah. Right. I mean, we, we see that it isn't, first of all, it doesn't serve anyone. And secondly, I just feel that if we don't talk about it, right, then where are people getting their information? Right. Wouldn't you rather somebody that knows and is knowledgeable about the topic, speak to your child or, you know, whoever um, about that topic so that they feel comfortable and that they know their anatomy so they can then voice their concerns, voice their opinions, talk to their future partners and tell them what they like, what they don't like. Right. And I think that 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 is huge. And unless we change the narrative, it's going to continue and we will continue to have all the sex negativity that's in our cultures and in our communities and And like we know, you and I both know that that doesn't serve anyone at all. So very important to have that discussion. So tell me, what other courses do you have for your uh, patients and clients? Like, for example, somebody's in the Chicago area and they wanted to learn more about you and what, you know, uh, events you put together and offer. I think it's awesome that you offer like a a Ramadan, you know, roundtable. I mean, all these amazing ideas that I'm getting from you. Uh, what other events do you do for your um, I mean, um, you know, we do like um, uh, during different months. I mean, we just moved into a new location, so I haven't gotten going on some of the other stuff. But um, we do like a menopause uh, discussion, um, you know, it, usually during the month of menopause awareness or some other time. Like I'll just pick a time like let's talk about menopause and then I'll have patients come in or perimenopause, you know, or like it's not in your head. Like let's talk about it. This is you know, real stuff happening. Cause I think that's the other aspect, right? Like if you're getting a puberty talk, shouldn't you get a menopause talk? Like, shouldn't you have someone tell you like, okay, this is where the end is happening and what's going to happen to my body. Like a lot of stuff is going to happen potentially, you know, like you got to know head to toe where those estrogen receptors are and what might happen to you. So um, I think that that is really critical. So whenever I get a 40 year old in my office or mid 40, I'm always like, you know what, let's take a minute and talk about what might happen over the next 10 years, you know, like this might be happening to you. And then they're always like, wow, I didn't realize that. Like my mom never, yeah, of course your mom never talked about it because they just believe they should suck it up buttercup <laughs> next letter, you know? I mean, even there was an article that came out in the menopause journal in, in October, uh, specifically looking at, because, you know, a lot of our data on menopause and sexual pain during menopause and perimenopause is, is strictly, you know, mostly Caucasian women, right? Like, you know, we don't have a lot of women of color data. Yeah. But um, what I, it was an interesting article in the Menopause Journal about South Asian immigrants and their experience. And of course, some of them, you know, sort of like stoically embrace menopause because it's what they think. And, and you know, now I don't have to worry about my prayers. I don't have to worry about sex. I don't have, you know, because I think it's like, I'm done with being a woman kind of thing. You know, just like, I'm done with this stuff and I can be the matriarch of my family, you know, this traditional look on it. Um, obviously, we're going to change that narrative because we're going to live full lives and stuff like that. But I think that, um, you know, these are issues that come up in, in the cultures too. And, you know, unfortunately, like internationally, I don't think there's as much offered um, for these patients because um, I'll get patients from Pakistan. I have a, a handful of patients in Pakistan going through perimenopause or menopause that I'm trying to help facilitate when they come getting them some prescriptions or whatever, because they'll come every few months or whatever. But those patients are the ones with the money, right? Like uh, you're not going to find the standard, like the average patient over there trying to do any of this. And so I think that's one of my goals is eventually to try to, you know, not only, I mean, not only educating like uh, the patients, but also like the clinicians out there, right? Like we got to get them on board too. Like it's interesting because I do have like a couple of international med students that kind of rotate with me uh, a couple times a year. 
And one of them was from Pakistan and she went back and she was like, I, I saw a lot of, you know, vestibular dynia in your office. And uh, I saw a patient in, in recently and I told my doc, my attending about it because she went to she went back to Aga Khan to do an internship or something. And she was like, oh, my God, it was just amazing because I could actually help the attending learn. You know what I'm saying? That's so I think awesome. that's where we have to, like, really concentrate our efforts when you think about it internationally. And obviously, we have a lot of work to do here. But I think that, you know, just making sure the people out there know it, too. Um, but, yeah, menopause, um, puberty, um, and then just like, you know, some of these open forums. I try to have some open houses every once in a while. And I'll, I'll do different talks with women's organizations in Chicago or, or sometimes some of the Muslim organizations that you know inquire i will will definitely go give a talk about that so just so that they know it's out there samina i was in love with your work before i met you but now i'm like even more in love oh. <laughs> no you are so amazing you know i um so that's funny that you because we we have the same passions so yes Absolutely. You know, it's funny that you should say so I did a medical mission in 2019 in Pakistan in Karachi, actually, with Med Global. You probably know Med Global because they're probably they're pretty big, I think, in Chicago. Um, And so we were uh, we worked with one of the hospitals over there. And um, I think that this would be amazing for us to, you know, reach out and communicate with them and let them know of all the different um, programs that you have, but also, you know, bringing uh, more information about uh, puberty and menopause and all of those things. And it's funny that you should say that that was one of your life goals, because that's one of my life goals yeah. <laughs> to go um, back and, passions. <laughs> and to empower, empower women in uh, developing countries. Actually, that's, that's one of my main goals in life. And that's actually why I'm on um, social media and specifically TikTok. And so, you know, uh, you'll be perhaps interested to know that when we do these podcasts, you know, we have uh, people from all over the world downloading this podcast. And I have people in, you know, different countries and even in Palestine, uh, people downloading, which I was really, you know, surprised and happy to find out, right, that it's, that it is global. And so I think that, you know, putting your information out there, I think is so, so important. And I think that definitely you and I will have to collaborate offline. Yeah, <laughs> it's really, um, you know, our passions are definitely in sync. So yeah, this is amazing. Well, um, you know, I don't want to take up more of your time, but I wish I could actually, I wish we could go on for hours and hours because I think that what you have to offer is so amazing. I'll come back bring something or something or next couple of months we can talk about some other issues yeah absolutely absolutely so um how about if you could just let the listeners know and the viewers know where they can get in touch with you how they can reach out to you to get a consultation with you yeah, and yeah. uh maybe you know how they can follow you and things like that yeah absolutely uh i mean i have a love-hate relationship with social media so because <laughs> you know you know what the kids and and dealing with all the stuff and, and in-laws and parents and stuff. So I, I don't have, uh, you know, as much time as I'd like, but uh, to do it, but I, I am on Instagram as gyno girl. I'm, I have a YouTube channel called gyno girl TV. Um, I, um, do a little bit on Twitter, not as much. And I have a Facebook page for my office, the center for gynecology and cosmetics. Um, I, uh, also, um, you know, you can find me, um, on, on that website, www.cgcchicago.com or www.gynogirltv.com. Um, but yeah, I think that, uh, you know, um, any questions or concerns and, you know, obviously I also don't give medical advice over, over social media, but 
you know, I, I have had some patients come over from there. So. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I was so, so happy that you're here and that you let all of our viewers know how they can get in touch with you and all the amazing research that you are putting forth and continuously doing and working so hard in this field of sexual medicine. You know, I definitely want you to know that you are very much appreciated and you are needed absolutely in this field, especially when we talk about women of color and implicit bias and all of those things that definitely happen in medicine. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, we are not um, any better than anyone else in terms of our own biases. So it's so important to know about them and to work through them. So thank you so much for all the work that you are doing. I really appreciate thank you. you. Thank you for your work as well. It's great. And I'm and, so happy to meet you and, and virtually, but, you know, in person, I'm sure we'll meet at some point. Yes, we have a lot of collaboration to do. So Yes, we do. Yes, we do. I, I feel like I need to just book a flight right now to yeah. Chicago <laughs> to come out and meet you. Or you come out here. That's right. We, we're going to have to set the date. Yeah. But well, I am done here and it's been real and really intimate with Dr. Rahman. And remember, this is not meant to be any type of medical advice. So please see your healthcare provider for any concerns you might have. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to schedule a one-on-one -on -one coaching with Dr. Lodi, please visit drsadaf.com. And until next time, this is the Muslim Sex Podcast.